Over the years, I've been convinced that God speaks to me through basketball. Let me explain. In the 2015-2016 NBA season, it was one of the most amazing and prolific seasons of all time. The Golden State Warriors were unbeatable for about 20 games, and they actually got an amazing record of 73-9, and which is better than 72-10, and which was the original record held by the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So this was a historically great team. And finally, when they made it to the playoffs, it seemed like they were unstoppable in some ways. And when they got to the finals, they were up 3-1 against the Cleveland Cavaliers, against LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. And at that time, no one in the history of the NBA had ever come back from a 3-1 deficit. Nobody, ever. But if you watch that season, there were some untimely injuries, some critical suspensions, and some virtuoso performances And what we had was a Game 7 in Oracle Arena. And so this was a prolific game. This was an exciting game. People bought tickets, and the floor seats for the tickets for two seats were about $100,000. And so the game was a really good game. It was close throughout. The defense was very stingy. It was very low scoring. And eventually there came a point in the game when it was 92-89 for Cleveland. And so now it was Golden State's turn. They had one minute left. And Stephen Curry, who was the unanimous MVP, who had shattered the three-point record, it was his time to shine. And so he had the ball, he was dribbling, trying to dance and get around this one guy, and he couldn't, so he passed it and he got it back. He was dancing around again, and finally... He threw the shot, it bounced off the back of the rim, and out. Because of that, Golden State lost. That was so sad. (laughs) Actually, so sad, I went to the chapel, and I saw my other friend there. I'm like, hey, are you here for the same reason too? And so this moment kind of stuck out for me, because this Game 7 moment... You know, kids dream of this moment. Whether you're a baseball player, a soccer player, a basketball player, you practice for that last shot, that last kick, that last home run, because you want to do something great. You want to do something heroic. And so for me, that moment has reflected on my heart, and it was profound for me. And it made me think that in each and every one of our lives, we will have a game seven moment of our spiritual life. God will ask of each and every one of us something great. He's going to ask of us a great moment of sacrifice. And this is what we hear in the first reading about Abraham and Isaac. In a way, we hear of Abraham's game seven moment. And when you hear the story, you would think, well, why would God ask Someone to sacrifice their own child. You know, what, what kind of cruel God want to do that? If you listen to the first lines, it says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and then offer him as a sacrifice. It's like God is taking the knife and he's kind of digging it in to Abraham. 
But I think in order for us to understand this story, we need to understand the context of his life. You see, we know that before Abraham got to this moment, he was living in the land of Chaldea, and he was asked to move from that land to go to the land of Canaan. So he had to go from modern-day Iraq to Jerusalem, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles. right? But what did Abraham do? He made an act of faith, and he left. And he left at the age of 75. right? Imagine you're about to sit down, you're about to retire, and then God asks you to transfer to an unknown country you've never been to. That's a great act of faith. And Abraham made that act of faith. And so Abraham was promised an heir at the age of 75. And he believed, and so he went. But after 10 years, Abraham began to doubt because, you see, his wife Sarah is 10 years younger than him. So at the age of 85, his wife is 75. He's like, well, I'm not getting younger, and Sarah's not getting any younger, so I need an heir, right? And so Sarah and Abraham... In a way, they break their trust in God. And Abraham has a child through Sarah's slave. Uh, slave. And that's why we have Ishmael. And then for 14 years, God does not speak to Abraham. And it's the biblical author's way of conveying that something is off between Abraham and God. And it's finally at the age of 99 that Abraham is making an act of faith again. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, you will have a child next year. And at the age of 100, and Sarah is 90, they have Isaac. As you can see that what has been happening to Abraham is that God has been stretching his heart. He's been stretching his faith. He's been stretching his trust to prepare him for a moment of ultimate and absolute trust in him. And now, today, we are at the moment, the ultimate test. And in a way, it's like God is asking Abraham, will you give me what is most precious to you? Right? And in a way, for Abraham, he's thinking, well, you promised that my descendants would be numerous as the stars of the sky. But if you're asking me to sacrifice my son, how am I going to have any descendants? And so Abraham is pondering these things. And so he's forced to ask himself the question, do I trust in God even when it seems impossible? Or do I trust myself? You see, the moments we go through our life prepare us for this final moment, this Game 7 moment. You know, another basketball analogy, one of my favorite documentaries to watch is The Last Dance. And it's a documentary about Michael Jordan and his life. And it's very fascinating, it's really interesting, it's really well written. And there's one episode when it talks about the Chicago Bulls facing the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, at that point, Michael Jordan had won many accolades and awards. He won the Defensive Player of the Year. I think he was MVP, and he was a scoring leader. But at that point, he had not won the NBA Finals. He had not won the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And so the Detroit Pistons were his obstacle to getting, he had to get over them in order to win and achieve that goal. But the Detroit Pistons were dirty. So what they did was that every time Michael Jordan would try to drive in, they would smack him to the ground, like hard. And that would just be a common foul. Nowadays, it would be considered a flagrant foul. Every time he went in, he'd be smacked. He'd be beaten to the ground. And eventually, 
he couldn't withstand it, and they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals. If you watch the documentary, you realize, you see that Michael Jordan weeping. He's crying. This full-grown man wanting to win a championship because he desired to win so much. He was crying. And so what happens then? One of many of us were tempted to give up. But that summer, Michael Jordan put on another 10 pounds. He got his teammates to work together to be stronger. And then the next year, they faced the Detroit Pistons again in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they beat the Detroit Pistons so bad, they beat them 4-0. And they, would, they walked off the court, not even wanting to shake hands with Michael Jordan. And the reason I bring this up is that this was a pivotal moment in Michael Jordan's life. Because after that, he went on to go to the NBA Finals, and he won his first championship. He would go on to win five more. And as I was reflecting upon that, we begin to realize that when we encounter struggle, it unlocks the greatness within. You know, Michael Jordan is not the way he is now because he had an easy road. He is the way he is now because he encountered struggle, which unlocked that greatness that he had inside himself. And so in the same way, Abraham was confronted with the struggle of faith, and God was waiting to unlock the greatness of faith within himself. You know, St. Paul describes it. He says that Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. He became the father of many nations. St. Paul says, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And so today when we hear Abraham, he's been going through the struggle of faith. He doubted God, he fell, but he came back. And now, today, he did not doubt God anymore. And that is why we call him the father in faith. But the question still remains for us, well, well, that's good for Abraham, and he had the aspect of faith, but why would God command Abraham to kill his own son? But ultimately, we know that Abraham didn't kill his own son, and God did not desire that. And we know explicitly that God does not desire child sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 18, verses 21. But I invite you to think about three aspects of the story which heighten the deeper meaning of this text. You see, Isaac is Abraham's only son, only beloved son. Isaac, if you read earlier in the story, carries the wood up a mountain. And what mountain does he carry it up? He carries up the Mount of Moriah, which is Jerusalem. So do you know a beloved son who carried wood up a mountain, which is known as Jerusalem? It's Jesus. And so the new is hidden in the old and old is revealed in the new. And so what's happening is that God is not doing something what we call a deja vu. He's doing a preja vu. <laughs> we made that up, but what it is is basically what, the story we hear today is like a trailer. It's a foreshadowing of what God will do in offering his son for the salvation of the world. And so that's what the transfiguration is highlighting today, that Jesus is revealing to us that the struggle leads to the greatness. The cross 
leads to glory. And that we need to trust God in every moment of our life. And He gives us the capacity to do that. You know, just a final story. I did a funeral for a couple yesterday. And uh, several months ago, they, they were excited at the news of having their first child. You know, they were just recently married and they were so elated. You know, during COVID, when it was the darkest time for some people, it was actually a moment of joy for them because their child, her name was Isla, was a beacon of light in the midst of darkness. And, you know, she was able to be, because she's a teacher, and so maybe Isla was with her in the classroom with the kids, and they were so, they, they were so excited for her. But unfortunately, there were complications in the pregnancy, and Isla passed away in the womb before she was um, brought forth into the world. And so this mother said that it was the most beautiful, but the most painful thing I've ever had to do. And when I was meeting with them, I always wonder, and I was afraid that they would be you know, angry and bitter at God. Because sometimes suffering can do that to us. Do you know what was their offertory song at the funeral, one of the first ones they had chosen? They chose 10,000 reasons. Do you know how that song goes? This is, this is the, at their funeral of their child. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for all your goodness. I will keep on singing. In the moment when they were tempted to distrust and be angry, they chose gratitude and trust. And it was so inspiring just to hear their story. And, and they were reflecting on the scriptures. And this is what they said on reflecting on the book of wisdom. They said, we need to trust in God and his plan for us and our child. He has not abandoned us. Be faithful as we learn to transform our feelings of sadness back into love. And so one day, God will ask something great of you. It will be your game seven moment. He will ask, will you trust me? He's preparing you like he has prepared Abraham. He is stretching your hearts and he's revealing through his son on the cross that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So when that moment comes, what will you do?